0: Steve Allen on LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. Welcome along to uh, Sunday morning. It's the 15th of November. What a miserable day. What a miserable, miserable few days it's been. And the papers, uh, as I say, reflect it this morning. Every single paper is dealing with the atrocity in Paris. The people who just went out there for for your average night and it was uh, targeted in the stadium, in the restaurant, in the bars and in the concert hall as well. So at the end of the day, 99 people die. Uh, there's another 80 People who they say are critically ill at the moment, and about another 300 who are who are still being dealt with. Uh, one of the bombers posed as a Syrian refugee. Then, of course, we had a Frenchman who was arrested at Gatwick Airport. He was carrying a, a handgun. It's not good news, is it? Uh, other stories which are uh, are in the papers this morning. Um, they're talking as well about uh, Alf Garnett, who has died, uh, aged 89. I did have the, uh, I nearly said the misfortune to interview him some years ago on LBC. He was a vehement anti-smoker, vehement anti-smoker. I think he used to be a smoker, and then he became an anti-smoker. And uh, he was in our studios in one of our buildings, not this building. <coughs> and um, I'd had some, some people in, because mine was a smoking studio. Don't ask me how this ever came around, because even I can't remember. And, um, and he came in and went, cigarettes, and walked straight out the door. And so the producer had to rush after him and go, Sorry, sorry, we didn't know that you were, you know, you were sort of, and it said, oh, it was disgusting. So we had to get air freshness in and all the rest of it. Apart from like that, the interview went brilliantly. But uh, famous, I suppose, was, uh, was Warren Mitchell for the character of Alf Garnett, in which he appeared to have uh, every grievance under the sun, but fiercely patriotic. George Cole left £700,000 to her indoors and his children, but nothing to the kids from his first marriage. Carol Malone's had a bit of a go at Penny Lancaster. Do you remember I told you the story of Penny Lancaster? They started talking about it on Loose Women the other day, and then she admitted that she'd been uh, touched by a man as she came home from school one day and proceeded to cry through the programme. And Carol says, listen, it happened to many people years ago, but uh, 20 years on, she said, I certainly don't cry about it. I just get on with life. But uh, obviously, uh, because I think they actually tried to stop her talking about it. I think Colleen Nolan said, listen, you don't need to. She said, no, I want to. And so she did. It kind of dominated the programme and then dominated the newspapers the next day. Uh, The Boar of the Jungle, because you've got that to look forward to. It's another bunch of non-entities going out there. Somebody will be standing under a shower. Somebody will be pretending they're looking for love. Uh, Somebody will have a breakdown. And uh, the rest of us just sit there thinking, thank goodness me, it's uh, it's not us. Thank goodness it's not us. Uh, Also, The Secrets of Wonderwall, 20 years on. The Secrets of Wonderwall, 20 years on. So uh, we'll look at that as well, plus the other stories of the papers, but it's, it's dominated by that news that came in the other day. 129 dead, 99 critical out of uh, 300 and something. So it's, uh, it's high, high death toll, the, uh, the sick demands. What, what, what I think sort of worries most people <coughs> is that it's so indiscriminate. You know, they didn't know if there were Muslims in this crowd of people in the restaurant. They didn't know in the uh, in the concert hall if there were if there were Muslims. If there were children. Some reports said they targeted people in wheelchairs who were to one side. There was uh, it was a fifteen hundred seater, twelve hundred seater, something like that, and uh, people were in there just had just doing what they would do, and that's what happens, I suppose, when you take your uh, your eye off the ball. In this particular case, this must have been, according to the experts, planned for. Ages and ages and ages. It had nothing to do with Jihadi John or anybody else of that ilk uh, or Syria. This must have been planned for months, months in advance, they said. I was listening to LBC yesterday and they were saying at least, you know, three or four months to make sure that everybody was in there. They think they're looking for a third team, I think, at the moment. I think they they think there were sort of three separate teams of people. They've uh, they've made some arrests overnight, uh, some in... Uh, Belgium, because one of the cars <clears throat> apparently came over the border. Uh, one of the people was posing as a Syrian refugee, and this is the danger, which we said before, because you don't know, the, these the, these people... I don't know what what version of the Quran they're reading. Perhaps there, are, perhaps there are sort of various different versions. I don't know what version it is that says you have to go out and murder innocent people. I just, I just don't understand that side of it at all. And so lots and lots of people are talking about that in the papers today. The people who are there saying just how dreadful it was. People having to do uh, what we've heard a million times before. You have to lie there and pretend to be dead, even though you're surrounded by dead people, to make sure they don't come amongst you and start firing indiscriminately. <coughs> I think in the uh, in the stadium it was perfectly obvious when you watch the clips back and you can hear the explosion. First of all, they're not sure what it is. And then they uh, they hear it again. And I think then they actually realise that it is, uh, it is an explosion. And it was uh, one of three, I think, suicide bombers. The SES uh, could be on our streets, they say, as, uh, as Paris weeps. And uh, <coughs> excuse me, they do ask the question in the paper today. They say, could it happen here? And the answer is, they say, well, it could, but it's, it's a pretty remote possibility. We have some very good intelligence in this country, and so they're saying it isn't. But it's up to us to remain vigilant. It's up to, to us to make sure that uh, that you do report things that are, that are slightly suspect. I don't think the police mind coming out for stuff like that at all. One of the bombers, they reckon, was about uh, 15 years old. Uh, the stadium refused entry to one of them, so that was fairly lucky. But the moment it occurred, they got people out as quickly as possible. In, you know, the uh, the images that you've seen on the television... Just show uh, the agony of a city that's absolutely in mourning. I mean, it's just a, a huge amount of people. One hundred and three, one hundred and ninety-three minutes of murder—that's what they call it. One hundred and ninety-three minutes, and it was in four separate locations. You know, who'd have thought sitting in a restaurant? I've heard people talking on LBC that they were they were booked into the uh, into one of the restaurants. Then the last minute, they changed their mind. It was an act of God, I think. Uh, the Frenchman with a gun held inside Gatwick. The armed police telling get down as the passengers were was sort of there at the airport. They pinned him to the floor as he began chanting. Slightly scary. I don't know what, what sort of... He's appearing in court, I think, this, uh, this coming Monday. But the solidarity shown around the world with, uh, with France is, uh, is quite unique. I mean, I, to be honest with you, I don't think it makes a scrap of difference. I think it just shows that we're all united under the same banner uh, in the same way that ISIS seem to think they're uniting with God knows what. That uh, Canada, America, Russia, Australia, uh, here in London, Brazil... Poland, Germany, China, Mexico, Taiwan—all these places lit up buildings in uh, red, white, and blue to show the solidarity. Je suis Paris. Vigils, prayers, and tears—and it is absolutely terrible. I mean, it's—it's it's a fight that I think we're we're sort of losing. I don't think there is any end in sight. I don't actually see where it goes. You're dealing with a group of people who uh, who don't seem to like the West and yet uh, enjoy all the trappings of the West, like the mobile phones and the uh, and the guns. And the bombs and stuff like that. And yet, for some reason, they don't seem to like anybody at all. Least of all themselves. So in this particular case, you know, could it ever happen here? Of course. Of course it could. It could happen anywhere at all. You've got no idea. I shouldn't imagine any of those people going into the concert on Friday night or people going out to the restaurant and got themselves ready. The last thing you're going to be expecting, uh, even in Tunisia, when you're lying on a beach, is some gunman to start walking up the beach shooting indiscriminately. But it seems to make no difference to them that they get killed themselves. They seem to think somebody's brainwashed them into thinking that that if you do this, you go to a better place. Can't imagine why God wouldn't want anybody like that at all. I don't know how you ever convince somebody that what they're doing by committing an atrocity, which takes away people's lives, innocent people—they've got nothing to do with it. You know, some of them could be Muslim. It could be children in that uh, in that Russian jet taken down. There were children on there. They quite clearly don't care at all. They seem to think it's some sort of trophy. So you're dealing with a with a mentality which you can't get round. I don't think you ever. I was discussing it with somebody yesterday, saying, you know, we're never going to be sitting around a table with ISIS, are we? With them, you know, if they're all so proud of what they do, why well, they're all masked up all the time. So more on that in a moment. Plus the other stories in the, uh, the papers. Harry met Harry. Yes, Prince Harry out, still with that ridiculous beard, honestly. Perhaps somebody's told him it suits him. And he went down there and he met Harry Styles. And he said, when are you going to get your hair cut? And Harry Styles says, well, not any time soon, but when I do, it'll be for charity. And Prince Charles has been telling people to buy British. But uh, his, his duchy stuff takes in a lot of foreign food. Quarter past six.
0: Steve Allen on LBC. Steve Allen on LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. What a miserable weekend, honestly. Apart from the, uh, the dreadful news from, from Paris, and it certainly won't be the last time we'll be sitting here talking about it or reading about it in the newspapers. It's, uh, it's almost as I said, uh, I think it was on Friday, I said, after the, uh, the killing of Jihadi John by a drone, I said, everything seems to have changed. The uh, the goalposts have moved a little bit narrower now, and now you can get groups of people who've been radicalised, people who are convinced by somebody. To, I don't know what you would do to convince somebody. I've said it a million times, I still can't get my head around it. What would, what would really convince you to strap explosives to your body and then detonate yourself? I mean, don't... I mean... Perhaps perhaps they need a good hug or something. Perhaps they don't have any love. Perhaps they don't have parents who love them or perhaps they they just seem to think that whatever somebody tells them is going to be true, which of course it isn't. It absolutely isn't. It's the biggest pack of lies ever. You know, you're going to be going to heaven and meet lots of virgins. Why would you want to go to heaven? Why would you want to go to heaven to meet loads of virgins? They must be obsessed by sex for some peculiar reason. If that's the incentive to blow yourself out, well, God's name is going on in the world. But it's sad, isn't it? Really, you look at them and then you and you see these people. We've seen the hatred in some of their faces. And you think, God, you really must have a lot of angst going on. Really a lot of angst. But the one thing that we do is that we, we just forge ahead. We just go on. And tragic though it is, you just cannot let your life stand still. You cannot let these people ruin your lives. They'll be delighted, the amount of coverage that they've got. I suppose there's probably some, somebody sitting there cutting out headlines, sticking them in a scrapbook. This is what we managed to do you know, in a, in a matter, of, uh, matter of minutes in Paris. And then, of course, people say, of course, now we've heightened security as if they're going to attempt something again within a short space of time. They're going to leave it a little while, aren't they? Like nobody's expecting Paris. You wouldn't have expected a football stadium, uh, a club with a a group playing in there, uh, a restaurant and two bars. Why would you have expected that? You just wouldn't expect... And that's why. It's that element of surprise. So when somebody says, could it happen here? Of course it could. I'm not saying that the, the, the same weapons that they can get in France would be available here, but you can certainly get hold of guns on the street. I had people talking the other day on LBC, and they were saying, of course you can get guns on the street. I remember doing a piece with a guy from Time Out, and it must be 15 years ago. And I said, can you buy a gun on the streets? He said, absolutely. He said, you can go into a pub. He said, 50 quid could get you a gun with bullets. It's as simple as that. Of course there are things available. I'm not sure if a Kalashnikov is as easy to get hold of in the Balls Pond Road or something else. But if somebody really wants to do something, it's like if somebody wants to break into your house, they'll break into your house. If somebody wants to steal your car, they'll steal your car. If somebody seriously becomes so radicalised that they are prepared to tie explosives to their body and stand there and pronounce something that nobody else understands a word of and then blow themselves to pieces, strikes me as somebody who's got some sort of illness... You know, you look at these sort of people when they were when they were targeting, and they threw some hand grenades, didn't they, into this concert hall, and then started picking people off. Well I mean, I just don't understand for what reason. I don't quite understand. What is the? Do you know these people? Did these people say something against you, or were you assuming that because they were in a Parisian concert hall, they were Parisians, they were French people? And this is something to, at one point somebody says they thought they heard somebody say this is for Syria, but to be honest with you, I mean that could have been anything at all, couldn't it? And how do they know these people? I mean, these people have nothing to do with that. If you're interested in doing that, then you'd go and target the military. Why would you target innocent people? It's not going to stop. You seriously don't think that after something like this, France is going to scale down its military operations. Of course it's not. That's, that's, that's like giving in. <clears throat> we have the SAS. I think our intelligence is far superior to most people's. We seem to manage to get people into court fairly quickly. Didn't take them long to find somebody at Gatwick, did it? Who had a, who had a handgun. I mean, how stupid you have to be? Quite clearly very stupid, but we just have to, we have to deal with it. We have to deal with it. You know, the tragedy for these people is that uh, they're going to be having a Christmas without their, their loved ones, and that's what's so awful about it. They'll never, ever forget them, but uh, they become martyrs in their own way. There's one woman talking about the, the Brit who died in her arms. Uh, who was shot? She tried to give him mouth to mouth, but he then just stopped breathing. He was in there, and you look at the pictures inside this concert hall, and most of it is pixelated. It has to be because it's just it's carnage inside there, and people sort of crying out, and there's other people who are alive going, "Shh, don't say anything, don't say anything." I mean, uh, this this black Mercedes, which they're looking for at the moment, which I think they might have found, pulled up by the bar. Two gunmen got out and started firing AK-47 machine guns from the hip. Just like that, I mean, and you think, but I don't think that could happen in this country. I don't think it would I think in, I think over here, I think having seen what sort of what the British public are capable of doing nowadays, I think we'd be overwhelming these people, but it doesn't matter to them, does it They don't seem to care if they die or if they get put into custody. I mean, I was saying on Friday, I suppose there will be a lot of people who feel cheated a little bit by jihadi John being killed as opposed to being taken and put on trial. But there again, why would you waste money on somebody like that? You can't deal with somebody like that. They're, they're, they're not in the real world. I don't know what, what hymn sheet they're singing from, but there's not many of them doing it, but they're causing enough, enough mayhem and enough misery in the world to get themselves headlines. Uh, we are, I think in this country, watched over by the best. I mean, you know, when, when you ask the, the questions in this country, what are the chances of a Paris style attack? Possibly, but unlikely. That's what the official line is. They say on the continent, arms can be smuggled in by road from places uh, like the Balkans. Uh, jihadists here can't easily source the weapons needed. What do the security service do about it? Well, Britain is the world's most electronically surveyed country. And our MI5 teams are the best at spying on suspects. So they ha- they build up a database. Apparently, one of the people that was killed in France had a history. He even had a history of... Uh, of uh, of somebody who could be a danger to them, and yet they obviously weren't watching on this particular thing. Uh, what what do they know? What do the security forces know in this country? Answer: They know a lot. They know a lot, and at the right time, uh, they will be they will be using it. Occasionally, a lone wolf will slip through, and there will be somebody who will probably do something. We we, we should never be complacent. We should never stand back and say it's never never going to happen because it might, and that's why we should always be aware. I mean, let's face it, you know. How fast could our troops be mobilised compared to Paris? Um, I think less well here than in Paris. In Paris, they were very, very fast. Uh, Our protocols for armed police are not as fluid and versatile as they are there. We've got brilliant professionals, but fewer of them. And we couldn't mobilise troops quickly on the streets without parliamentary consent. I mean, it's ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, So we'll bring Parliament back, and uh, we'll just make sure we can... I mean, you know, they need to change that as quickly as possible. Uh, And then you have the question, which everybody else has been asking over the last couple of days. Should we uh, give more guns to the police? I mean, I think... I mean, I remember going years and years ago to Vienna, and it was years and years ago. It would have been more than 20 years ago. And I remember getting off the aircraft for the very first time, and for the very first time in my life, seeing police officers at Vienna Airport with machine guns. I'd never got off an aeroplane before and seen people standing with machine guns, and they were all over the airport. Over here, nothing. You know, a fat lot of use of truncheons going to be. I mean, I think we do need more armed police. I know that they they do carry a lot of weapons in some of the vehicles. They're locked in a box, and so they could be mobilised. But, I mean, you need to have people actually with them. I do see it occasionally, but not very often. Are we losing this battle, do you think, against radicalisation? Sadly, Yes. Sadly, I think yes. The internet. I mean, it's only recently we've been talking, and you've probably heard it on LBC, and I don't understand it either. The dark side. There's a dark internet. There's a bit where, and I was talking to some people in the building the other day, and I said, "Have you ever heard of it?" And they went, "Oh yeah." I said, "What? It seriously, is a dark bit of the internet." They said, "Yeah." I said, "What? What are you buy in there?" They said, "Stolen goods, guns, uh, drugs." You. Can, I mean, literally anything, anything that would. Be, and you think, well, why has this not been closed down? There's only about five internet providers in this country. Surely it can't be that difficult to close stuff down, can it? I don't know. As I say, it's questions, 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 and very little answers, I'm afraid. And I can offer you no more answers than you can come up with yourselves. You can read the papers and we can all be absolutely horrified and your heart goes out to these people because, you know, it's just just the most awful, awful thing. When I first heard the news, I thought for some brief moment... Perhaps perhaps they, they'd actually got it wrong. Perhaps it wasn't as bad as they thought. And then as it unfolded over the 192 minutes, you suddenly realised that it really was that bad for them. All they were doing was just doing normal things on a Saturday night, like here, normal Saturday night into Sunday morning in Leicester Square. You know, anything could happen, but it's just people going about their business. Did I see any police officers in and around Leicester Square? No. Nobody at all this morning. I didn't see anything. Actually, sometimes during the week I do see police officers out there in their uh, in their wagons. Are they uh, are they equipped with guns? I don't know. It doesn't look like they are. So perhaps we need to change that. But the very idea that to get the troops out onto the streets, you've got to call Parliament back, is almost you know like closing the stable door, isn't it? There are other stories in the papers, just in case you think it's sort of blanket coverage, wall to wall. The papers have uh, have done their their very best with this. And they've uh, talked about the SAS. They've talked about, you know, people being more vigilant. We've just got to be more vigilant. You've got to report things. Christopher asked somebody earlier on, who was a Muslim, you know, if you knew somebody had been radicalised, would you report them to the authorities? And he said, well, after, after we talked to them, yes, then th- they would. He would definitely. Because it seems to affect all ages, doesn't it? Some people can go from being, you know, a normal, say, teenager to all of a sudden becoming withdrawn, going to the mosque more and more. And it does seem to be Muslim. I, don't th- I mean, do we get other people doing this? I don't know. I, know. I know you get sort of fundamental Christians and, you know, Roman Catholics as well, who might be sort of a little bit far left of centre. But it does seem to me that sort of in the, in the Muslim community, they've got a lot of problems that could be solved internally quite easily, quite easily solved, you know, by people just being made aware and the Muslim Council of Great Britain have come out and said that they, uh, they condemn it. But it doesn't seem to make any difference. These people have been radicalised. Why would they worry about what other Muslims think? They're killing Muslims at the same time. They don't care. They're not remotely bothered. Other stories in the, uh, the paper today uh, is the £200 million king of crime. I'll tell you about him. He's signing on now. But the papers are suggesting, is it a con? We shall find out, uh, hopefully, this morning. We take all your texts and emails, 84850, steve at lbc.co.uk. As usual, typical, isn't it? You get a little bit of miserable weather, and it did nothing but rain over the whole of the weekend. So Friday it rained, Saturday it rained, and uh, this morning we're sort of relatively dry. But either way, it's just been... It's, you just feel a bit down, don't you? You just sort of think to yourself, there's got to be something to look forward to around the corner. And At the moment, it's only a little tiny, tiny glint of sunshine. But uh, whatever it is, we need to hang on to it. It's
0: 6.30. Steve Allen on LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. 25 minutes to 7. It's Sunday morning. It's the 15th. November. Seriously, it seems like yesterday we were talking about fireworks. In fact, I looked at the, uh, the date this morning... And uh, I I thought perhaps the phone had got it wrong. I looked, it said the 15th of November. I thought, what, ten days have passed since bonfire night? Look what's happened. We've had miserable weather. Friday the 13th turned out to be the grim day that we thought it was going to be. And now this dreadful atrocity in Paris. But the one thing that links them all together, have you thought about it? A few few of you have thought about it and uh, and written to me already, saying that all the places they targeted, all six locations, were places which we would consider entertainment. Bars, restaurants... Concert Hall, football stadium. It's almost as if it's, you know, people going out enjoying themselves. That kind of really, really annoys them. They really don't like to see people enjoying themselves, mainly because their own lives are so miserable. They're so wrapped up in absolute nothing, and their entire life is apparently just sort of living and then dying. They're a bit like mayflies, really. They live for their few hours, and that's about it, but they must be so miserable. I mean, come on, name me three ISIS comedians. They they do not exist, taking it to the complete extreme. But it just seems it's place of entertainment. People, and they weren't all Parisians, good God, no. There was, it, was, um, it, was, it was the biggest mixed group of people you'd ever find. Why would you assume if you go to a restaurant in London that all the people sitting there are, are Londoners? They're not. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Uh, Changing the subject completely, I I was looking at a a list in the paper, our local paper, actually, the other day. And they were talking about the Christmas lights being turned on in Richmond by Chris Jarvis, who's doing the pantomime down there. And a friend of mine, he said to me, said, they haven't mentioned you, Steve. I said, I'm a little bit hurt by that. So I I picked up a copy of the Richmond and Twickenham Times and um, I get a whole page... (laughs) I got the whole page. Jane Horrocks and I get a whole page. Chris Jarvis, bless him, he only gets a little line. There go, and the Christmas lights turned on. And then there was a little thing that said, the Christmas lights in Twickenham turned on on the 22nd. And then you turn two pages down, and there's the full page with family favourite Steve Allen. I don't think I've ever been called family favourite before now, but uh, it will be next Sunday at 5.30, I think it is. And there's going to be a choir there, and it's going to be lovely. We just don't want it to rain. I don't even mind if it snows. I don't even mind if it's snow. I can put up with snow. That makes me feel a bit more festive. And God knows we need a bit of cheering up this year, don't we? We really do. I think we need somebody to sort of look down on us and just sort of give us a little bit of happiness. If there is a God, as you keep questioning and most of you keep writing and saying, are you sure there's a God? Are you sure he's looking down on people? You know, why does he protect these, uh, these people who commit these atrocities? And the answer is it's done to test you. It's done to test you. So we just have to go forward We have to lift our chin up. We have to go out there. We share every sympathy with the people who will be burying their dead over the next week. We know exactly how they feel. We've seen atrocities here. We've seen horses being blown up. We've seen it from the IRA. We've seen all sorts of things. And it's just really, it's really terrible. One of these days I'd like to open up the newspaper and say all to be happy news. The happy news being Steve Allen's just won 91 million on the national lottery, just to make everybody feel a little bit better about it. God, the good you could do with it. The good you could do with it. But I did have some luck the other day. Only a little bit. Only a little bit of luck. Because I've got this sort of, it's not a particularly bad Ever since I've had the flu jab, and everybody keeps saying to me, why do you have the flu jab? The answer is because I'm high risk and I had to have the flu jab. So I have it, but every year I get the cold. So this year, not as many people had the flu jab. And uh, I was talking to my doctor's surgery the other day, and uh, my my nurse was saying, no, we didn't do as many people as we used to before. I think that all the numbers have dropped because people went, listen, I had the flu jab and I was nothing but ill. Well, this will be my third illness since I've had the flu jab, so maybe next year I might might not bother, which case, of course, it could be totally fatal. So just to cheer ourselves up yesterday, and it was so miserable, the family, and for that there was uh, one, two, three, there were five of us, five, yeah, five of us. We decided to go to, well, we thought we'd do something festive. As the news was so miserable and the weather was so horrible, so we all piled into the car. We were going to go to Nebworth because they had a Christmas market, but Nebworth was forty five minutes away, so we decided not to do that. So we went to Van Hague's, which is a garden centre. But it's a huge garden centre. Huge, absolutely enormous. And I bought some things there. But I discovered this year for the first time ever, and this might this might seem quite shallow in uh, in this particular climate. But I, I've i always wanted a lot of lights on a Christmas tree. The more lights you have on there, as far as I'm concerned, I don't mind aircraft landing on the roof. I'm not bothered by this. And I managed to find a set of lights with... Normally you get sort of 30, 50, 100, 150. 1,000. I've got a 1,000 lights, uh, multicoloured, with a remote control. Uh, and then I bought another box of 750 lights. And they did do 1,500 lights which I thought seemed slightly excessive. But I came away quite happy, actually. Quite happy that I managed to find so many lights. Can't wait to see what they look like when they're up. It might be, might be the first bit of cheering up that we get, actually. Because turning on the lights in Twickenham on the 22nd with lovely Jane Horrocks, uh, so that'll be 22nd, then you'll probably be getting your own trees up. They were in the garden centre already. The Christmas trees are there. They're the ones in the pots. They're not the actual cut trees. They come out this week. But I will this morning because for those of you waking up and if you literally were asleep under a rock for the whole of yesterday, you cannot have missed the coverage on LBC where I think we managed to find guests even I thought we'd never get hold of. I mean, seriously, it was an absolute cavalcade of people coming through the doors, people to sit in on the studios. Tim Marshall was in here yesterday with Andrew Pierce, uh, because he knows Paris and he knows the locations. And then I heard all the other guests on there and I, I seriously thought I was waiting for a phone call last night my boss to say to me, listen, we think maybe your programme might be a little bit light for a Sunday morning. And then I thought, well, we've had a, a day of it. We still put it to the top of the agenda, but I can weave in some other things as well. Really, because we didn't have the best of Steve Allen, quite rightly, on Saturday morning, because it was better to put on a, a live programme. So I think Darren came back. Did he fly back down again? Did he... Oh, he saved the weekend, right. So he, he came in to do the programme on uh, Saturday morning. And uh, so this morning we're sort of we're roughly 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 back to normal. Stig will be here. He'll be talking about it. They'll be going back over to Paris because Tom Swarbrick's there. He's got a busy day. He's got to report into into Stig's program and then get back on the Eurostar and then come back here for his own program where he'll be reiterating what he said to Stig Abel, who's here at eight o'clock this morning. But it is. I mean, there are literally pages and pages. I've lost track of how many pages in all the the newspapers. I think I'm up to in the. Uh, In The People today, they're up to 12 pages on it, and on the front pages. Uh, Some of the other stories which are in the paper today, they're talking about uh, Dermot, who was hosting something on the television the other day. I suddenly realised, actually, watching, he, he did Children in Need, didn't he? But i tell you what was the worst thing. Rochelle Humes and Nick Grimshaw... It was absolute. I mean, I seriously began to wonder whether or not the BBC are actually just dumbing down or they can't find anybody who can speak. It was either that or they hadn't rehearsed. She couldn't read. It was just awful. It was the most awful thing I've ever seen. And, and I mentioned it to one of my godchildren, who agreed... Generally, my godchildren don't always agree with uh, with what I say, but with uh, this one, they're in agreement. And then Nick Grimshaw, with another one of these lame game shows, it was pathetic to watch. But now they're saying that Dermot O'Dreary could come back to um, do things. He's been out in the wilderness ever since The X Factor decided to sideline him. I prefer to call it sideline than anything else. And, uh, and you suddenly realise, because even all the TV critics, they're laying into Ollie Mers and Caroline Flack, saying, you know, they are the almost-rans. They're just terrible. They have no cohesion at all. Even though you've had all the silly stories in the newspapers about, you know, are they going to be an item? Who cares? Nobody cares? I'm, I'm not watching television to discover if people are going to have an affair or not. Uh, but Dermot O'Dreary, <clears throat> they said, um, could come back to host TFI Friday, and could host The Voice. Oh no, sorry, TFI Friday, Grimshaw. (coughs) If you really want to kill a programme, that's the way to do it. Why do people think that if somebody's on the radio, they're going to be good on the television? It doesn't work like that. If you don't like them on the radio, you're not going to like them on the television, are you? Out in the jungle, I think we're going to get that. And already they've had to start doing the stories of why they're out there. And as you know by now, we haven't really put too much hope on Yorgie Porter. Her mother said she doesn't want her to strip off under the shower. But uh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Porter, but that's about all your daughter can do. She doesn't actually have any other talent. We've seen her in Hollyoaks. She made no mark in there at all. And it does seem to be a race, doesn't it? I want to see Chris Eubanks standing there in his skimpies under the shower. Make it far more entertaining for people. Uh, Susanna Constantine. I think she'll just eat. Uh, Lady Colin Campbell. She's doing it for a roof on the castle, apparently. Uh, Kieran Dyer dull and boring. George Shelley (coughs) excuse me, according to the papers he's in there looking for love and I thought Tinder would have been easier for you George, but you know, if you really have to go into the jungle you must go. I can't even begin to tell you why Evette Fielding's in there. Quarter to seven
0: Steve Allen on LBC Steve Allen on LBC
1: Morning, everybody. What a sad Sunday. What a sad Sunday. 11 minutes to uh, to 7. I don't want many more of these. Thank you very much, indeed. It's getting depressing enough, as it is, with the weather, without these sort of things happening. And then Alf Garnett. Do you know, to be honest with you, I didn't even think about him. I not because I hadn't thought about him for a while, because uh, he played the bigoted bully... Uh, Alf Garnett, this is Warren Mitchell, in the controversial comedy series. He was 89. Apparently he was cracking jokes up until the end. They all say that, though, don't they? And then obviously they just sort of, perhaps they they sort of forget the punchline or something. Uh, He did come into LBC. I did interview him. Um, It was a great character. An absolutely great character. Uh, He was a married father of three. His uh, family were with him as he passed away. In the early hours said he'd been cracking jokes until the last. He'd been in poor health for some time. But uh, quite a character. I mean, it really was quite a character. I can remember sitting there sometimes, cringing at some of the uh, some of the lines in it. And you think, and it was it was almost one of those because they called it controversial. When you actually watch it back now, it isn't as controversial as you thought it was. Except some of the language was a little bit ripe. Some of the phrases that they used. And uh, but that was exactly the same in. In uh, apart from Till Death Has Do Part, there was the other one which had the two couples living next door to each other. I think it was Love Thy Neighbour. And that was another one <coughs> which had it. But then the other programme that I discovered a while ago was Wheel Tappers and Shunters, which was an innocent little studio set-up in a, in a studio up in Manchester. And they had Colin Crompton up there and uh, they had that big fat comedian, who's dead now, his name uh, Bernard Manning, and some of the jokes that they were doing... It was, I mean, it was racist. It was out-and-out racism. Every time you got sort of a black group on there or a black singer, the the comments were unbelievable. I mean, seriously, you you can almost, you used to sit there, you looked at the audience and it was an audience of its time uh, where they sat there, because it was a studio, they were allowed to smoke and they had pints of beer, so they really did drink. But then I watched the London Palladium, Sunday night at the London Palladium, hosted by Jimmy Tarbuck, with a whole host of stars, a whole host of people. And I was sort of watching there, and the audience was smoking. You could sit in the London Palladium and smoke. And, um, and, well, mind you, we used to better sit in our studios here and smoke. Not these particular studios, but when I first joined LBC, you could sit in the studio and smoke. Everybody smoked out in the newsroom. It was like a permanent haze over everything. Not in the best way. Not in the best way. So uh, he's uh, passed on. He had three children, Rebecca, Daniel and uh, Anna. His his uh, nephew, Mr Burnett, said he was a wonderful man and very funny. Yes, I, I imagine he was. I used to love Dandy Nichols. I thought Dandy Nichols. I didn't like the son in it. And uh, it was, who was the daughter played by? That was um, <clears throat> Aunt Sally, wasn't it? She was, it was, oh, I can't remember her blasted name now. Embarrassing. I'm looking at a picture of her and it doesn't really help. It doesn't help. He did loads of other things as well. Oh, that's right. Eunice Stubbs. Whew. Eunice Stubbs was the daughter. And it was they all sort of had to suffer with this bigoted man who was supposedly representing what, uh, what, what Great Britain thought. If that programme had been on today, I wonder exactly what uh, Alf Garnett would have been saying about these, these atrocities, because that's what it did. It represented what was going on at the, at the time. It's very much like uh, like Punch magazine. Cathy, uh, uh, talking about this uh, this flu jabs, I tried to get in, but no appointments available. They were sort of... Were just people weren't, weren't going to get them done around my way, and they said in most of the doctor's surgeries, they, they were not... Uh, people weren't bothering. I suppose because last year they did actually get colds after they'd been for the flu jab. See, I thought mistakenly that if you had the flu jab, then that meant you didn't get a cold. And that's why I get the flu jab, because it's... Uh, <clears throat> Because I'm high risk, because uh, because diabetes you go right up there to the top of the list, which is quite good. But every every year I've had the blasted thing. I've either had sore throats. I have got sinusitis this year, and everything. Oh dear me. Eight four eight five zero. Steve Tony reckons uh, if there's a power cut at Christmas, it'll be Steve Allen's got his lights on. That'll that'll be because. It'll be like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Do you remember? Do you ever see that? Where they they, they turn the lights on. Eventually, they manage to put the lights together. An the entire house comes up. The people next door. Then everything goes off, and they fall through. Oh, it's just a complete disaster. But you laugh at it. You laugh at other people's misery. Joan Plumstead. Good morning. Nice to be company today. A lot of people talking about the flu jabs, and everybody else saying we've got to go about our business as normal. Otherwise, these uh, people have won. Yes, that's absolutely. You just. You just have to go about it. You, you do exactly. You can do nothing about it. You can do nothing about it. Seriously. If you, know, if, if you worried about everything, you wouldn't go anywhere, would you? You'd be sitting at home, staring at the wall all the time. Um, pantomimes. Oh, no, they aren't. Oh, yes, they are. They're all out there, the pantomimes. And who charges the most? Birmingham. Birmingham pantomime. £27.30. But it all comes up to uh, who is in the pantomime. It comes down to how expensive the celebrity is. And with fees for some celebrities running at a good... Um, I can't tell you who the celebrity is, but £60,000 a week would not be unheard of. Seriously. But bearing in mind, it's very short. Most pantos now are only about four weeks. Only about four weeks. So for a, a big star in a pantomime to earn 250000 for the four... The people going, are you serious? Absolutely. Absolutely, I know average people getting six grand a week, and that was years ago. A friend of mine earned ten grand a week. I would think, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like to hazard a guess at how much uh, certain people are earning, but I would think a big star like Paul O'Grady could probably pull in one hundred and fifty grand a week. I would think easily, easily, because some of the places that they're they're playing are enormous. And they're they're looking for top dollar. He commands top dollar because he can he can pack a place out. So 150 grand a week would not be unheard of. You can always tell how much they've actually paid the star by the people underneath. Richmond pantomime always does very well. They've got a they've got a lot of people this year. They've got Haley Mills. They've got uh, Chris Jarvis. They've got Matthew. Uh, oh, Matthew, him. And his and his his sons doing pantomime with him as well, and they're doing Ugly Sisters. He was in Game for it. Matthew Matthew Kelly was in Game for a laugh. Matthew, oh here we go. We're having word blindness this morning now, which is not so good, is it? Kelly. Matthew Kelly is it Matthew Kelly? Thank God for that. And his son, and they're doing panto. Now they they would get good money for doing it. They've done Ugly Sisters before, so it's good. I did also see the Lord Mayor show yesterday in town. Uh, which looked good. A little bit. I felt a bit sorry for all the people getting a bit wet, but you know we have to do things like that. I was, I was pleased it went ahead. I really was. I got slightly worried that they might have pulled it, and then somebody said I heard that one of the suicide bombers was only fifteen. Are his parents thrilled? I don't know. I don't quite know why. You know, people don't go round and interview the parents. I mean, I suppose they can exonerate themselves, but at the age of fifteen, I don't think you can. Can you? Still under parental guidance until sixteen. So, I mean, Jihadi John's parents live in this country, don't they? And I think they've been round there. I don't know what they do. So, the I mean, the 15-year-old uh, was from Blackburn. He was the one who plotted the ANSAC Day bombing. But there's another one in in, uh, in France. They reckon one of the ones over there was 15 as well. But in in Birmingham, the parents said they had no idea what he was doing, which is what I've said loads of times before. And as I said only less than an hour ago... Can we stop radicalisation? No. Why can't we? Because it's on computer. Do parents know what their kids are doing on their computer? No. Not at all. Unless the computer's sitting in the sitting room. You've got no idea. The computer's up in the bedroom. Well, it might actually be useful, but I should imagine most parents wouldn't even have the faintest idea. Go on and check the history of the computer. See what they've been looking at. You might have a bit of a shock. A little bit of a shock, because, you know, kids nowadays can access all sorts of things. And most parents, most parents I know, do not check their kids' computers or their tablets or their mobiles. They've got no idea what they're looking at. And it could be all sorts of things. mean, in the case of the 15-year-old from Blackburn, the parents said they had no idea what he was doing. They do now. They do now. But, but, but they don't, you know, they, they don't quite look intelligent enough, some of these people, to realise what do they think's going on on the internet you know people are chatting to each other there's all sorts of things going I and mean, there's more things going on with the internet now than you can ever shake a stick out I mean when you think it's changed <clears throat> excuse me so much in a in a very very short space of time if you're a parent and you've got kids you know of 9 years old upwards and they're playing on their computers upstairs have you been onto the history have you checked on it and seen what, what they're accessing might be in for a bit of a surprise today might be in for a bit of a surprise we will go through the uh, the front pages of the papers even the daily star as uh, <coughs> Excuse me almost excelled themselves by talking about the horror in uh, Paris also the bomber posing as a Syrian refugee so I'm going to have to cough again in a minute I'm just gonna... I've got one of those really really tickly coughs uh, but they've got pages and pages on it which is actually in keeping with as it should be the bomber posing as the Syrian refugee the SAS hitting the streets That's what a few of the other papers are saying as well now, that the SAS will be out there and they will be more more vigilant. But I don't think you can actually be more vigilant. It's up to all of you to be more vigilant, to actually, you know, look around. And if you think that there's something not quite right, then you phone the police. They will respond. They will respond to something. And so, as Paris weeps, we get the SAS on our streets. uh, And when you look at the reports of the people and what they did to try and save people it's uh, it makes really just appalling reading it's it's possibly the most dreadful thing you can ever ever read but if we if we worried about every single thing as i say we wouldn't go out anywhere at all but uh, because it's happened somewhere else we can talk about it and we can sympathize and we can shed a tear for them, but at the same time, we have to get on with our own lives. It's up to all of us to pull together, which we appear to have done going around the world, looking at what the papers have actually done and the coverage. And you'll hear Stigable talking about this uh, this morning. So, more coming up the other side of the news. George Cole, for a reminder, left £700,000 to his wife and the kids, but nothing to his children from his first marriage. I they're feeling a bit miffed about that. The homeless people moved on by bagpipes. Apparently they don't want homeless people anywhere. Uh, the boar of the jungle, yes. Who said she'll spill the beans on the royals? Yes, it's dreary old has-been Lady Colin Campbell. What she knows, you can write on the back of a grain of sand. It's LBC. I'm Steve Allen.
0: Steve Allen on LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. It's coming up to four minutes past seven. It's Steve Allen's early breakfast on LBC. Steve Gable's going to be here at eight with the breakfast show and Hillary Benn is going to be in this morning on the programme. So they'll have lots to talk about. The papers, I don't need to tell you. If you read them yesterday, you'll know that we've got today. the front. I'll go through the front pages of every single paper, just so you know exactly what they're all leading with. It is the one topic. It is the one topic, that dreadful atrocity. Over in uh, Paris, which we'll never sort of move away from. And it was just people going out there. Just people going out there to have a bit of fun, on, a, on an evening and not expecting anything to happen but other people had different ideas. There are other stories in the papers as well, but only a few. And we'll put those in between now and eight o'clock this morning. 84850, oh, steve at lbc.co.uk. And um, a lot of people talking about uh, Colin Crompton, says Glenn, sat there for the Wheel Tappers and Shunters Social Club with a cigarette in his hand. So did most of the audience. Yes, died of um, cancer, didn't he, Colin Crompton? Oh, dear, oh, I never quite... I mean, I used to watch the, the programme because a lot are available on DVDs now. And everybody smoked. The entire audience smoked. Mind you, when you looked at British films, everybody was smoking. Everybody was smoking. British, I don't think there was a British film I ever saw in this country that uh, that didn't have people sitting there with a cigarette on their hand. I mean, nowadays, you just wouldn't see it, would you? It'd be a very, very rare thing. In fact, when I was watching the Sunday night at the London Palladium with Jimmy Tarbuck, they had on... Um, The lovely Julie Rogers. And, uh, of course, I've known Julie because I've seen her at the Lady Rattlings. And she's got a super husband, Michael. And uh, she was really fabulous. It was really... Honestly, to play the Palladium, my God, that must have been... That must have been, you know, something... George Raft came on at one point. Uh, Nick says, you should drink your coffee off mic. The trouble is when you've sort of got a really bad tickly cough. I've also got... um a big jug of water now to get me through it. So I think you'll find it will it'll sound slightly different between now and the end of the programme. It's just, it's one of these annoying things. It came, came back a bit uh, last year and then uh, and then disappeared and then came back again. Uh, off to Sleeping Beauty, says Marilyn, uh, in Woking. Oh, yes, you're actually seeing Katie Price, we know. Tickets are 41 quid. Good God. I mean, I don't know why on earth somebody's put Katie Price in pantomime. I can't see actually any any benefit to that one at all. Uh, Paul says, who's Chris Jarvis? Well, you see, you're obviously a little bit too old for that kind of thing, but he's the star of CBeebies. And uh, good God, he used to be at LBC. If you've not heard him talked about, you're quite clearly obviously not a very devotional listener to LBC. Uh, Philip said, uh, a very good movie from Warren Mitchell is Kokoda Crescent. Bill Kerr as an urban crime fighter in Australia. They decide to take a, a drug lord in their local neighbourhood. It's on DVD. I might have, uh, might have a little check of, uh, of that one. Uh, another one here says, um... says, please say you didn't buy the lights for the car. No, I did think about that, actually. I'm not sure what the law is. Are you allowed to put Christmas lights in your car? I know that on Tuesday... No, the only reason I mention this... The only reason I mention it is because on Tuesday in Leicester Square, the Coca-Cola lorry is going to be outside from, I think, 9.30 or 8.30. Apparently right outside the front door. Can't wait to see this bit of parking. This should be a bit of a miracle. And they're going to have carol singers... And uh, that's provided Carol can make it. And they're also going to be giving away free f- free fizzy things associated with the lorry. Want to make it Watermaker Town, to- other drinks are available, but not on this particular day. And um, <clears throat> so that's quite nice. But that lorry's got lights all over it, because it's... As long as the lights don't dazzle you, I should be all right. So I thought I'd have the car blinged up for Christmas. So I'm out there this morning with a thousand lights... ...and An alternator and a tube of glue, and I'm going to stick them all the way around the car, so that when it goes down the road, all of a sudden I can flick a switch, and the thing will look like it's in Back to the Future. People will go, "Who is that?" They go, "That's Steve Allen." <laughs> Blinged up, and then just as it goes past them, there'll be a puff of smoke, and, and 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 the car. I'll turn the lights off, and it'll make it look as though the car's vanished. You see, okay, I'm one step ahead of Dynamo on this. One step. You notice I do all my own impressions on this programme. I'm not sharing my money with anybody. Other people come in and they go, I can do an impression of that. I said, no, no, I'll, I'll do it. Don't worry. If it sounds bad, I'll do it. But I'll still, I'll still have a go at it. So I thought Christmas lights, I wonder if you could put them in the back of the car, on the back shelf, and have them twinkling away. And I think you couldn't, because that would interfere with the brake lights. And then I thought perhaps I could wear them. And then I thought, no, because then you get parents driving past, and the kids would go, mummy, mummy, there's a man with lights around his neck. you know. And then they'd career off the road, and then we'd have an accident. Because... I could just put tinsel on my aerial, couldn't I? But I've, I think that's a wee bit naff. I think that's probably OK if you live just a little bit out of London. But I think in London it's not, uh, not on my car anyway. I think if I'm going to have a gold-plated aerial, I'm going to have a gold-plated aerial. But I'm not putting tinsel on it. Nobody uses tinsel anymore. Have you noticed? It's gone a bit... It's sold in Poundland. They, they've, they've reduced the value of it. But I do like tinsel. I have, to be honest. I mean, I've seen some, some quite bushy tinsel. Some of it's quite thick. You get the thin, weedy stuff, which the kids wrap around their wands when they do the, the nativity. Why would they have a wand in a nativity? I don't know. <coughs> Alternative nativity nowadays. You can't take photographs, can you, anymore? You can't go along to schools and take photographs They think there's something the matter with you. If you want to take a photograph of your kid playing the baby Jesus, not that anybody's ever played the baby Jesus. You generally either play the innkeeper, Mary. I never wanted to be a shepherd. I had to be a kid. Were you a donkey? How sad! you're a star wow how would you be a star in the nativity play do, they, do, you, do you just stand there oh right do you have a little sort of oh, oh I was one of the three kings I had a tea towel on my head held in place by an elastic band and I had to sing we three kings of oriental and my parents filmed it and so I've got footage of me being one of the Three Kings. I was so angelic. I mean, seriously, it would make you feel physically sick if you watched it. All Everybody looks very angelic, especially with a tea towel on your head. And the worst thing is, as your dad's filming you and you see them, you, turn and you, start, you put a smile on your face, don't you, at the same time, which kind of means you've lost the moment of being one of the Three Kings. Because you're supposed to be... I can't remember what his name was, but I was the one who got to sing... I do not I want to be up on the stage and be a shepherd. They look boring. None of the shepherds had anything to, to, to do at all. are either going to be Mary, Joseph. Even the innkeeper's pushing it a bit. So it's either Mary and Joseph or one of the three kings. I am here because a star in the east told me to come and bring a present. What you got? It's the Argos catalogue. <laughs> Have a flip through. If you like something, pick it out. God, dear. Um, Carol Malone. In her column in the paper today... I said, I'm, I'm surprised, actually. and the, the reason I am surprised about it is because I watched this particular piece on the television. And it's... Um, it's Loose Women. And it was Loose Women when they were sitting there. There was Penny Lancaster. Because sometimes I have to look at Penny Lancaster on the television. And, uh, and try and work out who she is. Because she's a, she's a little bit nondescript. Only a little bit nondescript. And they had... Um, Uh, What's-her-face from the Nolans, who was hosting the programme? So, in other words, you get somebody who struggles through reading autocue. And at one point, they're talking about the story that Nick Ferrari did, about girls having to go to school but put tights on to make sure that (coughs) strange people don't start looking up people's skirts. I know it sounds a bit bizarre, but there you go. And uh, various groups have come out and said, no, they shouldn't have to do this. Anyway, Penny Lancaster then starts talking about how she was assaulted by a man in a subway when she was 12. And Carol Malone picked up on this and says the man apparently lifted up her skirt and wrestled. Uh, Anyway, 23 years later, 32 years later, I do beg your pardon, there she is on the television sobbing uncontrollably. Colleen Nolan even told her they wouldn't talk about it, but Penny still insisted on telling the story. I feel qualified, writes Carol Malone. To say I'm bemused by her reaction because exactly the same thing happened to me when I was 14. A bloke jumped me from behind, held me in a necklock and shoved his hand at my skirt. Yes, I was terrified. Yes, I screamed the blooming place down and like Penny I fought him off. But 40 odd years later, I don't cry about it. I don't even think about it. Much except to wonder what might have happened, not what actually did. Well, that's because this bloke didn't rape me. Uh, I think that was the plan, but it didn't actually get close, which, from what Miss Lancaster says, is about the same as happened to her. I understand she was terrified. Surely she still can't be that traumatised by it 32 years on. Well, surprisingly, Carol, I have to disagree with you. Because all of the cases that appear in the papers nowadays of sexual harassment are historical. There's hardly anything that occurred, you know, like a year ago or a few months ago. These, some of them go back over 40 years. I mean, I also asked the same question at the time when people come forward and they go, this happened to me 40 years ago. And you think, good God. I mean, surely have we not all got something in our life that you'd go, well, I suppose if you wanted to interpret it like that, it could be seen as something that I would complain about. Or, or do we just forget about it? Carol Malone says she's not traumatised by hers, but uh, she says it felt a bit like attention-seeking in a way that demeaned the experience of these women who have been brutally raped and assaulted. Me and Miss Lancaster were the lucky ones. We got away. So, I mean, it, it was odd. I wasn't even sure if it was planned on the programme. I would like to think that it, it wasn't. I would like to think that they didn't do too many things on that programme that were sort of pre-rehearsed, which, which can be done and they go, i tell you what, I'll go into this you do this bit and then and that's how it works out I wouldn't have thought actually that Colleen Nolan would have had the faintest idea how to deal with these, uh, with these sorts of things at all uh, Kevin O'Sullivan talking about the boar of the jungle, looks like it could be uh, Yorgi Porter, this is the one whose mother has said she's not over keen on her sort of taking her clothes off which of course is a little bit of embarrassment because that's the only thing that Yorgie Porter is actually famous for if we take a quick break? Quick time check for you. It's 7.15. <laughs> morning, everybody. Nice to have company. 7.20. It's the 15th of November. Christmas is literally around the corner. And I'm praying, as indeed we all are, that we're going to have some, some good news. The police, uh, the latest reports, and you'll have more with, uh, with Stig Abel this morning from breakfast, they're looking for more suspects. I think they've arrested some people already within Paris. They've identified one ...of the Paris attackers. He's a 29-year-old French citizen, uh, Ismail Omar uh, Mustify, And he comes from the French town of Chartres. The French uh, prosecutors uh, have said that police have arrested... ...members of the attacker's family. Because people must know about this. You cannot just do these things without knowing. Uh, Nick Alexander has been named as uh, as the Briton who died... ...at the uh, Bataclan Theatre. He was the one who was selling merchandise. And uh, the Foreign Office fears that there may be a handful of uh, British fatalities. But they're, uh, they're checking very carefully beforehand, before they inform people. And then, no doubt, they'll be uh, talking to the press as well. Uh, 84850, uk, which will put everything in on the uh, the programme today. The good news is there is one bright spark in the paper today. And this is an old soldier who was beaten senseless you remember uh, by burglars who stole his life savings has spoken for the first time since he was left for dead 5 weeks ago he said i want to go home he's had enough of lying in a uh, in a hospital bed and um, and i think that's actually good actually i think that's you know that's uh, one of the best stories he he looked terrible his attackers made off with his 30,000 pound life savings i'm led to believe though that they did have a uh, they did actually have a, a collection, and I think they've actually replaced the, the stolen money. He lost 30000 He's up to 33000 at the moment. So that's good. So he's three, three, three grand quids in, which is good. So that could be the good news for Christmas, if he can go home. That would be quite nice. Everybody talking about the Ab Fab film? We talked about it first on LBC with the lovely Joanna Lumley, and Jane Horrocks is in it, and a whole cast of celebrities, including We Jimmy Cranky, is going to be... It's going to be in the film. I can't wait to see this film. It might actually be the only thing that could put a smile on our face. When it's released, I don't know. Who pays the most for lager is one strange story, as I say, in between all the misery in the paper today. Football fans apparently are, are dead easy to, um, to sort of take money off. And who pays the most? Well, it's quite it's a couple of teams actually Southampton and Arsenal. £4.50. £4.50, they pay. Chelsea, £4.40. See, I wouldn't have the faintest idea what a pint of lager costs in a pub. I really wouldn't know. I know that if you go... A friend of mine did go to a place the other day. I can't tell you... £4, four pound in a pub, is it? I don't, I've never bought a pint of lager. Couldn't even lift it up. Didn't have the strength to lift it up. But um, a friend of mine did go out to a hotel in London. He said it was very nice. They had a bottle of wine... <coughs> excuse me. And uh, and an orange juice. £71. We were having a guessing competition. How much money could you spend? Admittedly, the views are fantastic. The views are fantastic from this particular hotel. He said, but £71. I said, but what in God's name were you drinking? Was it champagne? He said, no, no. He said it was a Pinot Grigio. I said, must have been a pretty good Pinot Grigio. I know that the markup in hotels is fairly high, but I thought £71, including an orange juice, seemed a wee bit stiff. And then you've got a tip on top of that. Because people do, do tip, don't they? Because I mean, I feel duty-bound to tip. I'm, I'm quite a good tipper. Quite a good tipper. 3.30 Aintree. It's a horse... I don't know, it's an old gag. It's the best you're going to get this morning. Um, on the subject of uh, the Three Kings, <coughs> somebody's saying that was exactly the part that I played as well, which is good. Apparently, uh, the surgery wh- where I work, says Karen, as, as a practice nurse, has also not had a good uptake in the flu vaccines. I wonder why that is. Is that because people were saying they didn't actually <coughs> work for them? Oh, it's because people just don't like injections nowadays. <clears throat> it's not the injection that I worry about. It's the fact that it should be working for me, but not. Uh, <coughs> Terry Wogan was sick, but they raised more money, apparently. They raised more money, which is interesting. Anthony Booth was Alf Garnett's son-in-law. Yes, that's, uh, he's related, isn't he, to Tony Blair. He's Tony Blair's father-in-law, Anthony Booth. He was, uh, he was very odd. And, uh, and Mary says, I thought Colleen Nolan was an expert. She's an agony aunt. Well, I think she's an agony aunt. I mean, to in, in, all intents and purposes, in one of the newspapers. Whether she does it or not, I've got no idea. So I sat down to watch a television programme called Children in Need. Imagine my horror, Steve, when I saw Dermot O'Dreary presenting with Dreary. I didn't realise what bad, boring presenters uh, Dermot was. Very disappointing. No, the worst one was uh, was Nick Grimshaw. I, seriously, I mean, I, I didn't... Actually, think it was rehearsed, and it's just a little bit too fay. You know, fay is just a little bit. It's sort of they didn't really have the authority that Terry Wogan had, mainly because they were all children. You need somebody with a with a little bit. You know, like you have to sort of you know go there. Uh, whilst on the tour bus in Oxford, the guy pointed out that uh, Warren Mitchell, Alf Garnett, was a former university student there. Oh. Really well. He's he certainly made his mark. I mean, he did loads of loads of things, but it will always be that uh, that character, won't it, that he actually played. Um, another one here. I'm trying to weave in as as many of your texts and emails as I possibly can. The computer sort of subbing them down as we go to try and get there. I've never actually done a tour bus guide in Oxford. I keep thinking about it. it should be one of those things that uh, that I can uh, sort of. Get me, get me head around. I quite like it. Actually, I don't think this is too bad. On this Arsenal losing the, uh, the sub final, the Gunners fans paying £4.50 a pint. I don't think that's bad for a lager, actually. If people are saying it's about 4 quid in the pubs, why would you complain about £4.50? It doesn't seem a, a lot of money, unless, of course, it isn't actually a full pint, unless it's just, you know, maybe half a pint of lager. It could be half a pint. Wait a minute. Oh, no, half time lager. They say. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I don't know what the, perhaps it's a bottle. Could be a bottle. I don't know. Years ago, they used to have a bottle of sole, which was it. Do you ever remember sole? With it, you used to have to cut up a piece of lime and stick it in the top. It was the most boring thing ever, honestly. I used to get really bored. People coming into the bar, which some friends of mine know, and going, two souls, mate. You know, two souls, two bags and a bud. It's a Budweiser. Okay, it's a Budweiser. God, blimey, honestly. And uh, a gin and t. Do you mean a gin and tonic? God. The price of these things in bars nowadays. Actually, I did notice, I went to, oh God save me. I went to... Uh, yesterday, when we went to uh, the garden centre and I bought the Christmas lights, I needed to find a chemist because I needed to find some, uh, some cough mixture. But um, I couldn't find a chemist that was open. They seemed to close on Saturdays around, uh, around Essex Way. I don't know for what reason. But I wanted sugar-free because of diabetes. And uh, anyway, we get there and it's closed. And, I, and next door to it was a supermarket. So I put the hoodie up, and, uh, and I go into this Lidl. And I get, I've never actually been in a Lidl before. It's a bit of an eye-opener, actually, isn't it? They don't sort of have proper stacked shelves. They just have loads of stuff piled up all over the place. And there's loads of people gathering cans of lager like there's no tomorrow. And uh, some of the stuff's good. They had a really good perfume in there, which was really good value. Apparently it smells like something else. And it was down to 99 pence. So we had a quick spray of it. Well, I thought it was mace. Seriously, I had no idea that people actually buy this thing. It was reduced from three ninety nine to 99 pence, And I said, you know, it's about the most expensive toilet duck you've ever had. And so we, saw, we had a little spray of this. Well, obviously it burnt the skin off one of our noses. Somebody got an asthma attack. It was all a bit disastrous. But the good thing was that they did bottles of Prosecco at £5.20. I mean, I don't know how they do it for that sort of price. So I stood in line with some other people. And um, and you have to pay for a carrier bag. But that's all right. I don't I don't mind paying for carrier bags. And I sort of paid and I got change out of a twenty pound note for two can for, for two bottles of Prosecco. And it was it was most drinkable. This is this is Lidl in Essex somewhere. I can't remember where it is. It's next to a McDonald's. Which is yes, it's really good I thought it was really good value actually. Because normally you can pay sort of eight to ten quid for a bottle of Prosecco. But this was this was more than adequate. More than adequate. But they do all sorts of other things in there. People buying bread rolls and and all sorts of other things. And, uh, well, the the guy in front of me was actually just buying, it was obviously something that he was quite used to buying, 20 cans of Stella. And uh, so I'm sort of (laughs) of behind him looking at my Prosecco and I could feel people's eyes boring into me. Because quite clearly nobody's ever actually walked through the checkout with two bottles of Prosecco before and paid. And so I was a bit of a novelty. Normally I'd have stuck them under my coat. And so we sort of, so we sort of get to the checkout and he's going through and and the guy's going, how, how many can? He's going, 20. Uh, I'm thinking, my God, you're in for a good hour, aren't you, outside? And, so, and about this, it's tipping down. It's tipping. And so I'm, I'm going, two bottles of Prosecco. So I open my wallet. You know, you could see people looking. He's got a wallet. He's got a wallet. He's got a wallet, this one. He's got a wallet. You no, know, and it was. I found it quite an interesting experience. But you go through about three lots of security doors. I'm assuming one of them could actually sort of, you know, clamp itself onto your legs to make sure that you don't escape. But I did pay, and it was, and it was very drinkable. So I might go back. I won't be telling you about that, but I might go back. I want people to think that you know I'm sort of not not upholding standards, which I am. Uh, eight four eight five zero. Stephen LBC I'll I'll go through some uh, some other stories as well. Uh, and this is about binge. Eating. Uh, Denise Welsh has said that binge eating is taking over her whole life. And it's an easy thing to do where you get addicted to certain things like Kentucky Fried Chicken or McDonald's. Uh, And because they're all open fairly late, it's very easy to get into binging or chocolate biscuits. I was saying to uh, my goddaughter's boyfriend, Stuart, uh, we, when we were in Little, we were sort of, you know, trying not to touch anybody's. So we were sort of going round, things like that. And, uh, and they had some chocolate wafers on one of the shelves. And I said, oh, look, cho- I've seen chocolate wafers for a while. And he went, they're nice, he said, but there's no point in buying them. I said, why? He said, because you wouldn't just eat one. You would eat the whole packet because it's just chocolate. I mean, how many chocolate wafers can you fit in your mouth at the same time? Judging by the size of him, probably the whole box. But anyway, so I, but I didn't say anything. No point, you know, people know, people know. It's uh, 730
0: Steve Allen on LBC.
1: Morning, everybody. Uh, Twenty five minutes to uh, eight o'clock. And uh, Martin says, "I had a bottle of soul with lime last night." I don't even know you could still get it. Actually, I have no idea. The Regent Street lights are being switched on today from twelve noon. Says Rita. Yes, I think it's uh, it's my friend Ali Jones who is doing it today. So a little bit of cheer, a little bit of cheer. And uh, Anne says, "My husband had his flu jab at the supermarket." Pharmacy. Uh, Kevin reckons that a pub in Allgate charges £4.70 for a pint of standard lager. But, um... I had my most expensive G&T last night, £10 for a G&T in a plastic cup at the Vaudeville Theatre. That would be a double, though, wouldn't it? They, they give you the double. It's, uh, that's, it's, it's not a single, so I can understand that. And somebody says, I worked on a programme called Desmond's with an almost entirely black cast in the 80s. It was a sitcom, but now watching it, I feel a bit uncomfortable. Oh, I watched it the other day. I thought it was brilliant. We talked about it. We talked about it on the programme, because London Live have, uh, have bought Desmond's and they're running it from, from series one. So I was uh, I was very pleased about that. Norman Beaton starring in it, yeah. I mean, it was it was it was groundbreaking. Absolutely, I thought it was I, w- I thought it was lovely. I didn't find it um, patronising or or uncomfortable or anything like that. I just thought it was I thought it was quite good. It was showing sort of you know us a different side, a different side, and so I was I was quite happy with that. We'll do the uh, the front pages of the papers very very shortly and run through exactly. You know what the front pages are going to be for today though. And pages and pages inside. We just have to, just have to pick ourselves up and uh, and just be vigilant. We cannot let anything like this stop us going about our day to day business. It's as simple as that. You have to, um, you have to just look at this as as the tragedy that it is, and the absolutely appalling carnage uh, done by people who have so so little disregard. For people's life, you know, to open fire. But it was, again, it was all the entertainment, wasn't it? 2120, the first explosion. Uh, 2140, uh, the uh, Bataclan nightclub. A uh, thousand people watching the American band Eagles of Death Metal. <coughs> the terrorists rounded up a hundred rock fans and started shooting them one by one. You can imagine there's over a thousand people in this hall. Police stormed the building at 0020. 89 people are dead two gunmen blow themselves up as one is killed by police 2125 the restaurant atrocities and again it was all places of of entertainment people you know people were there to have a good time and as the papers have said it's time to wake up there is a war going on there is a war going on and it's a war which which we appear to have no control over whatsoever absolutely nothing at all we don't know where they're going to strike you would have thought that the intelligence uh, would have been able to deal with this one because this must have been planned over a series of of months. People and a lot of the other papers have said here <coughs> that what we have to do, they say, it will mean sitting down with people we don't want to. I mean, I wasn't even sure whether that would be a possibility. I wasn't actually sure what you could what you could say to ISIS or what they want. I don't really. I don't think they know what they want. They. I mean, the actions in Syria should be our number one focus. Uh, We need to ask ourselves if more bombing there will simply uh, prolong that conflict. What would you think? I mean, I would think, yes, absolutely, if we keep bombing Syria. Much as though, you know, we have to get the upper hand. If we we keep bombing Syria, they're going to keep retaliating. And if they're going to keep retaliating... (coughs) Excuse me, then, you're going to see more and more of these headlines in the papers, which we don't which we don't want to see. We really don't. Front page of the of The Sun this morning, look in my eyes, then die. The gunman's sick demand. Uh, the killer posing as a refugee, the suicide bomber, they say, was fifteen. Fifteen years old. How on earth do you radicalised somebody at fifteen to do things like that. And they line people up. At one point you'd have seen on the news <coughs> excuse me, people um, literally one woman hanging out of a window. Hanging out of a window. You know, when you're dealing with three suicide madmen... You have no control of it at all. They're just going to sort of blow themselves up. Uh, interestingly enough, the fake refugee in the gang, the stadium, then refused entry. Which I suppose sort of could save a lot. Nobody was left standing... Um, when they sort of opened fire on the terrace. And they've got uh, all sorts of people outside a bar. And it's, it's just absolutely the worst kind of thing. One hundred and ninety-three minutes of murder... Six separate events, all orchestrated, presumably by a group that all knew each other. They don't operate independently. Surely this would this would be some sort of movement where they'd all got together. Somebody must have noticed it, mustn't it? Unless it was planned with such meticulous detail that the French didn't know anything at all. Inside Gatwick, of course, we hold a Frenchman with a gun. Um, he started chanting, but I mean, we don't know until, we, until he appears in court. We've got no idea what his motives were. And again, as I pointed out at the beginning of the programme, this has got nothing to do with Jihadi John. That was just a, a byproduct because this would have been done for ages ago. Andy Heyman, the former uh, police chief, says surveillance can beat the threat. Patrick Mercer, the terrorism expert, says more cash is vital to keep us safe. But uh, as we've said before and we pointed out that, you know, if we are going to put troops on the streets and we are going to be in this heightened state of awareness, it's going to take an act of parliament. You can't just sort of mobilise troops. You can imagine trying to bring them into... Where would, where would you get them from? Where would you get them from? Other stories in the, uh, in the papers today. Uh, Adele, very interesting enough. She's, she seems to have worked out her career very, very well indeed. Because she said here in the papers today that she's not doing adverts. She's been asked to do everything. Endorse this, endorse that. She said, no, I'm not doing adverts. She doesn't need the money. And so she's not going to endorse anything. If only other people thought like that. If only other celebrities had thought about, you know, not endorsing. Because when you read some of the ridiculous things that they endorse nowadays. Uh, Prince Harry goes off to the, uh, I think it's the Royal Variety Performance. It was an all-star line-up. Jack Whitehall, uh, Little Mix, Kylie Minogue and Elton John. Has Kylie had a hit before? I mean, what would she be doing? What would she be singing at the Royal Variety? Little Minx Mix were there, and uh, Elton John, very good indeed. Has he got a hit album out or something? Are they, are they got all these people? I don't think so. Perhaps they're finding it more and more difficult. The money does go to a very good cause, and obviously to get Prince Harry out, because otherwise he'd be propping up Mahiki, wouldn't he? So if we can get him out and sit him in a royal box for a little while, he likes it, that's good for him. There was also a story in one of the papers of um, a lot of celebrities who have been uh, investing in some of these dubious schemes, which the taxman is not very happy about. So, consequently, he's clamped down. And uh, what he's actually done, he's started issuing bills. I always refer to the taxman as he has started issuing bills, because I feel certain that a woman would deal with you more kindly and go, listen, there, 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 don't you worry. If you don't want to pay it, you don't have to pay it. But uh, Ian Wright and uh, Sam Allardyce apparently lost millions of pounds in investment schemes. Uh, Wrighty, they say, has been wiped out after a £2 million loss... This is after people uh, invested up to a billion pounds. It's an awful lot of money. But once one celebrity does it, you tend to find it's a roller coaster. They reckon hundred million pounds went on ventures recommended by Kingsbridge Asset Management. Uh, Wrighty didn't invest in Kingsbridge, which was introduced to one of its bosses by uh, a fellow Arsenal striker who faces bankruptcy over a seven million pound loss. The pundit is said to be livid. Over a similar investment. And then, of course, now the now the uh, the tax man has uh, has come down and said um, uh, tax bills. He's issuing tax bills up to about, I think, 200,000 pounds. As somebody said the other day, if only Gary Barlow had paid all the tax that was due as opposed to investing in all these sort of strange places overseas, we could have had more nurses in hospitals. I thought, well, there were quite a few other people as well, but all they're doing is is protecting their investment. If somebody said to you, listen, you've got how much? You've got, say, a million pounds sitting in the bank. If they say, listen, I can guarantee you a million and a half in three years' time, and you put it into the... You're going to be going, oh, right, is it legal? And they're going to go, yeah, it's legal. It's whether you trust the company doing it, isn't it? And in, in the in the in the case of all the celebrities, once I remember the first one to be caught at was Jimmy Carr, I think, and he, he he quickly retracted and sort of and made made good. But then we discovered that most people in take that appear to be investing, but all they're doing is doing something that protects their their income. Anybody else would do it. I would do it if I had the opportunity, if only I had that sort of money. But uh, sadly, three pound thirteen and threepence halfpenny isn't exactly going to get me into an offshore Cayman Island refuge, is it? Other stories. There's um, a man here. He's a rugby fan. He's been a rugby fan of uh, Warrington Wolves since his dad took him in 1937. So he's watched um, he's watched his team for all these years. Uh, 75 years. You know, they've given him nothing. You thought by now they've given him a free season ticket. You know, you've been a supporter for a long, long time. Here's a free season ticket. No, they've just celebrated the fact that he's been going there for 75 years. So you get a round of applause from us for being a a stalwart fan and being a a nice person. Because if your dad took you all those years ago and you're still going, they've got to be worth it. It's quarter to eight.
0: This is LBC. Coming up at eight on LBC, Stig Abel. The show this morning can be summarised in four words. After Paris, what changes? Leading Britain's conversation, Stig Able, this morning from 8 on LBC. I think we'll
1: be joined this morning by Hilary Benn. He's going to be uh, with Stig Able this morning. Just after news at 8, it's 10 to 8. I've just spoken to him a second ago. He He said the worst thing is, he said, if you've got a sore throat, and it is, it's only because I forgot to take the, uh, the cough medicine. He said, there's nothing... You can't fall back on anything. we could fall back on the floor, but uh, that's not going to sort anything out at all, is it, Anytime soon? 84850, steve lbc.co.uk. It is, it is blanket coverage in the papers this morning, as it should be. As it should be. As it should be. And uh, why do people think Elton John is a wonderful person? I don't know. I don't know. They like him. They thought in, enough of him to put him into the, uh, into the Royal Variety performance. He is one of our national treasures... You know, and um, and Lucy says, uh, "Could you please say a huge well done to my daughter and all her friends at all the arts theatre school? They did the Mardi Gras at Sadler's Wells yesterday, an amazing day." So there you go. And uh, another one here. It says uh, Warren Mitchell was also in the the Sandwich Man with Michael Benteen. Uh, do you know, Michael Benteen also turned up on the television the other day uh, on the Royal Variety performance. Not the Royal, the, yeah, Sunday night at the London Palladium, which was uh, which was absolutely marvellous. Absolutely marvellous. And um, another one here says, uh, was it Madame mademoiselle you tried yesterday in Little. I have no idea what, what the label was on the perfume at all. I couldn't begin to tell you. Uh, I used to get a cough like yours every winter. Steve, it went on for ages and ages and tried all sorts of things. Actually, if, I, if I'd taken my, uh, my cough mixture this morning, we would have been absolutely fine about it. Uh, another one here very quickly on the subject of... Uh, yes, Desmond's wasn't an entirely black cast. No, we know that. We know that there, were, there was a couple of... Uh, there was a white trainee, wasn't there? Was it Tony? Something like that. So uh, that's why. Uh, really missed you, says Marlene. I've never shopped in Lidl. Do they sell real food? They absolutely do, actually. It's really good value. (laughs) They've got everything, it's all brand names and things like that. There's also a lot of lookalike stuff in there, I've noticed. I hadn't noticed that before until somebody pointed out, because I was looking at something thinking, oh, that, but then Poundland have got that one as well. And you look at something on the shelf and you go, oh, that, oh, it's not. It'll be the same colours, but it's a different name on it. Are they known for that? Is this this advert on the television? I keep seeing where they go, I like this orange juice because it's so-and-so, so-and-so, but I like this orange juice. Is that that advert? Oh, right. Yes, they've got a lot of looky-likey products in there. I mean, in fact, after a while, I started spotting them on the shelves going, that's... Oh, no, it's not. Clever, isn't it? I suppose, really. Well, it just goes to prove how uh, how we are tempted. Um, I don't think, says Amy, I like this world anymore." I can't see an end to these murders. Well, I mean, that's, that's what people are saying. Is there an end in sight? How much worse can it get? And the answer is, it can get as as bad as they want it to be. But if you're worried about it all the time, you'd just sit indoors, you wouldn't go anywhere. You've got to go out and we've just got to carry on with our lives and hope that the intelligence in this country is so more superior. I mean, to be honest with you, I think the French intelligence must be rubbish. They reckon this was planned in February... So, in other words, they've got one or two people involved in it who they know are involved with stuff like this, and they weren't watching them. Surely they'd have seen them going to meetings, and they'd have been watching them even closer and then seen other people. So, perhaps perhaps French intelligence is is not as good as uh, as we thought it was supposed to be. Uh, <coughs> 84850, oh, steve at lbc.co.uk. Um... The other thing is, oh, they, didn't, they did not need uh, an exit route, Patsy. They're, they're still looking for an extra gang, they think. They think there's another three people. And uh, hopefully, with the people that they've got, they will lead them to other people. And I think they've actually... Um, I think one of them was, was arrested the other day. I'm pr- pretty certain. Pretty certain one was arrested the other day. So that, in turn, could lead, after questioning, to meeting... Uh, the rest of the other people. I mean, it's, it's just a tragedy all round. But if somebody's hell-bent on, uh, on committing an atrocity, they're going to commit an atrocity. It's as simple as that. The front pages of the papers read as follows this morning. Uh, the Mail on Sunday, Paris jihadis uh, got in as fake refugees, which is something that I know worries the intelligence services in this country. Uh, the Sunday people, they've got, with 129 dead in Paris, the world asks, in whose name? And it is that question isn't it all the time are we are they singing from a different hymn sheet where is it written that it says that they have to destroy people where is it written that they have to execute people where is it that it's written that they have to you know destroy women and children muslims they don't they don't they they just indiscriminate they seem to think that they know what they're doing but of course they don't but they can cause mayhem and they can cause havoc because they're not bothered about their own lives they're just worried about sort of doing... I mean, where they think they're going when they're dead, I've got no idea. As I said, perhaps I think they're sitting on a cloud with somebody else. Look in my eyes, then die. This is the Sun's front page headline, the gunman's sick demand. Uh, also, one of the uh, the fans who survived, because people did survive. There was about uh, over a, um, <clears throat> over a thousand people in that hall. It it holds about 1,500. I think it was pretty much near capacity. And they killed 89 people in that room indiscriminately. Then they threw some bombs in. It's just, I mean, it's just absolutely terrible. The Daily Star talk about the British victim of the constant massacre, the cops in the terror arrest at Gatwick. I mean, that's a a bizarre one, which will follow on LBC. The Sunday Express, running with the SAS on our streets as Paris weeps. Uh, They think a Syrian refugee is among the seven ISIS killers. The Mirror today, they've got uh, pictures of those who lost their lives and the police were hunting more suspects as, uh, as France mourns. I mean, it is absolutely... It's the most awful tragedy. I think any tragedy where anybody loses their life is an awful tragedy. But this one in particular was just people going about their business and just, just enjoying themselves without a care in the world and not knowing that any minute this was going to be happening to them. Uh, Adele still gets the coverage. In the uh, music section of The Observer this morning, Grieving France pledges <coughs> a merciless response to the ISIS massacre. Excuse me. In, uh, in Paris, the passport linked to the Syrian migrant is in there as well. And uh, somebody said, I ran inside a cafe. Nobody was moving or crying. People were lying in blood. The Independent have changed their front page uh, to blue, white and red. And they say, how did it happen and what happens next? Yes, I think the how did it happen question is going to be asked uh, for a long, long time. And hanging on for dear life to escape the Paris assassins This is a woman, she's literally clinging onto a balcony. I mean, how long she was there for, I don't, I've got no idea. <coughs> but uh, here she is. I mean, people in wheelchairs were sort of picked off one by one. I mean, it's just, you just can't make things like this up, can you? You've got no idea what goes on in somebody's mind. But this woman clinging outside, she's actually prepared to... Uh, to sort of jump off there, rather than face being killed by these people. Uh, The Sunday Times this morning have got the massacre triggering the hunt for the ISIS killers among the Syrian migrants. Cameron orders shoot to kill if Britain is attacked. They don't care, though. That doesn't matter, does it? They're not bothered by things like that. That's what the the papers are saying this morning. Stig's going to be... Uh, dealing with this uh, next, Hillary Benn will be in, and uh, and they will come up with that uh, question. whether they get an answer as well as to you know how bad is French intelligence? Why did they not know about this? How could this have been allowed to actually take place? That many people dying in one evening. It's uh, it's a very 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 sad state of affairs. Uh, so that was just about it for this morning. A very very depressing Sunday. A very very gloomy set of newspapers, but I know that you've been having your say on a lot of the programmes on LBC, and uh, you might have known people over there as well. I'm sure that Stig will be uh, talking about this on his programme coming up after the news today, and you can talk to Hilary Benn as well. Uh, the other stories that uh, that we did do: Alf Garnett, Warren Mitchell dies at the age of 89, apparently still cracking jokes until the end, and the uh, the 200 million pound king of crime is signing on. Papers are somewhat sceptical. They say, is it all a con? And uh, George Cole, do you know, only left £700,000 to her indoors, which actually doesn't seem like a lot of money, does it, for a man who spent a lifetime on television and, uh, and in films. Uh, he left that 700000 to her indoors and the kids... But nothing to the children from the first marriage. So I'm sure there's going to be a story there. And the homeless people in one part of the country who are being moved on by somebody playing bagpipes. Apparently, bagpipes make you want to move on. Not me. I love the sound of bagpipes. and think absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for your company. You can download this, uh, this program a little bit later on today. And uh, this evening, I'll be back at nine o'clock in conversation. Uh, <clears throat> Martina Cole. Everybody going, you have to hear Martina Cole. On Steve Allen's programme. It's, uh, she's quite something, quite something. I'll be back with you tomorrow morning. let so hope the weather is going uh, to be particularly nice for us. As I say, the one thing all we want now is some, some good news. There's got to be some good news around the corner, please. We've had so much misery and so much uh, heartache and so many tears have been shed that uh, somebody up there needs to smile on us and give us a nice day.